0: I am so extremely glad that you are with us today as we begin a brand new message series. And hey, I want to just say this, a couple of things along that line. I want to encourage you to be with us every single week. This is a four-week series that uh, we're going to spend uh, one of those weeks in the Old Testament, that's today, then the other three miracles that we're going to look at all play out in the New Testament. So I want to just encourage you, go ahead and clear your calendar ahead of time and just know for the next four weeks, we're going to be in this message series. Hey, let me tell you another thing I want you to know. Be praying with us. just mentioned a few moments ago, we're hoping to hear any day. Can I just tell you what I'm praying, what I'm believing, that we're going to be able to finish this series live at our South campus. I'm really, really hoping that. And so let's be praying. Let's be expecting that to happen. Now we're calling uh, this series more than stories, more than just a story. This is, uh, this is real miracles in the lives of real people. It's about real people. It's is not uh, fiction. This is not made-up stories. This is not fables. These are real people and real miracles that occurred in their life, more than a story. And I'm praying that during these four weeks that we're together, that you're going to learn. I want you to learn, because learn uh, learning many times comes uh, before growth. I want you to learn, but I don't, don't want it to just be in your head. I want it to be in your heart. I want during this time that you would grow spiritually spiritually. And as we get started, I want to give you something to think about, something to really digest as we dive into this first miracle today. And here it is. It is this. I want you to hear it carefully. You will never know that God is all you need until God is all that you've got. Let me say that one more time because I want you to understand that that is so important for you and I to realize. You will never know that God is all that you need until you reach a point in your life where God is all that you've got. Are you ready for today? I am, since i finished working on this talk. I've been anxious to share it with you, and we're going, as I mentioned, into the Old Testament in this first week, specifically 1 Kings chapter 17, and as we do, we're going to look at events surrounding the life of Elijah, and I want to take just a moment to establish the setting here, give you sort of the historical narrative, because I think it will help to set it up. And you'll understand the circumstances that are playing out around this time. Uh, let me just add this. This is about 900 years. What we're going to look at today in First Kings chapter 17 in and around the life of Elijah actually occurs about 900 years before the birth of Jesus. So that'll give you a timeline. The other thing that I want you to know, there are three kings primarily that God used to establish to unite this kingdom. Uh, King Saul and each of these guys, by the way, uh, they were not perfect. They had challenges, but God used them for the establishment of a kingdom. There was King Saul and then it transitioned from Saul to some of you, uh, Old Testament historians, you will know that it went from Saul to David and then from David to his son. What's his son's name? All right, say it out loud. You know it. Many of you do. Uh, Solomon. So, God, you saw David and Solomon to establish the kingdom. But then later you keep reading in this narrative, the kingdom is divided. The kingdom is divided. And it is, by the way, a tragic time. The kingdom is separated. This united kingdom now is separated into the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. Now, again, it's part of the story. In the Northern Kingdom, if you just keep out for just a moment, the Southern Kingdom, we'll talk about that maybe some other time, but in just the Northern Kingdom alone, for the next 60 years, there are 19 different kings, and all of them are absolutely terrible. They just are. I mean, there's no other way to say it. These kings, these 19 kings in the northern kingdom over a time span of 60 years, they are terrible economically, they are terrible politically, but more important, they are terrible spiritually. And at this particular time that we're going to look at today, and I hope you'll get these scriptures down, I hope you'll go back and look at them later when you have a little more time. At this particular time, the king and the queen are like the worst of all the previous ones. They're just, they're absolutely horrible in every way. Their names are Ahab and Jezebel, and they are totally worse than all of the kings that have come before them. They got rid of the worship of God, uh, which was, so, as you would well know, so absolutely important. They just totally disregarded that. They put that away, and they led the people in all-out idolatry, specifically and primarily the worship of Baal. So God, and this is where Elijah enters the picture, so God sends a prophet. God sends Elijah to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel with this message. And and Elijah confronts Ahab, and in essence, this is what he says. Because you guys have been so utterly wicked in your leadership over this nation, here's what God's going to do. God is going to withhold rain from heaven. It's not going to rain again. Not another drop of rain is going to fall until I say so. And you'll see that in a moment. And you know what? That actually occurs. It's hard to imagine. But for three and a half years, it does not rain. And I don't need to tell you how utterly angry that Ahab and Jezebel are when uh, Elijah comes to them, although it's a message from God. They are mad, uh, spitfire mad, by the way, at Elijah because he's made this, this account. It's not going to rain for a very long time. That's actually what happens. And as a result of that, Elijah is a marked man. But I want you to look. This is Chapter 17, I want you to look at the B part of verse 1, and it sets the stage. Elijah said to Ahab, as surely as the Lord lives, no rain or dew will fall during the next few years unless I command it. And that's exactly what happened for three and a half years. And maybe you're feeling that way in your own life these days in this regard, that things, and this is what happened, things just dried up. It precipitated a drought, and maybe you're feeling like that in your own life, not, you know, obviously in the same way that it's playing out in First Kings chapter 17, but maybe there are certain things that have dried up in your life. Maybe, maybe a job, maybe during this pandemic, you've had a job, you had a career, you had the upstart of a business that was moving in the right direction. Maybe it was very encouraging to you about the prospect of what could come. And all of a sudden, it seems that that's been ripped out from under you. And that job that you had or that business that you started is having all semblance of being dried up. Maybe you've had a relationship that was really important to you that is dried up. Maybe your happiness, your own personal happiness, you're like, you know what? I'm just at a season in my life, Jeff, when I'm sad, when I'm discouraged, when I'm depressed, and it just seems like happiness is dried up in my life. Or maybe you feel like your walk with God it has dried up. Maybe you feel like you're, you're experiencing, you're walking through right now spiritual dryness. Maybe you feel like things have dried up for you financially. But uh, Elijah goes, he confronts Ahab, and he says, listen, it's not going to rain. You and Jezebel have been so utterly wicked. You have forsaken God. You have led the people to turn their backs on God, to follow headlong after the worship of Baal. And as a result, it is not going to rain. And it doesn't and it causes a severe drought, and God, when the drought comes, this is what you've got to understand, God sends Elijah on a trip, and I want you to see this, this is verse 2, several verses here, 2 through 7, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, it's drought time, leave here, turn eastward and hide, look at this, in the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan, you will drink from the brook, And I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went, Elijah did, to the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Look at this next part. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And and that's a lot of stuff going on in those verses. Where did God send Elijah? I want you to think about this now. I want you to just really dial into this. God sent Elijah to a ravine. Actually, it's more like a rut, a natural rut. A ravine is a rut. And for the next year of his life, this is exactly where Elijah is going to remain. Can you imagine being in a ravine? Uh, being in a rut for an entire year. Again, I want to just do a quick time out here and let's, let me just ask you a question. Is that where you feel like you're at these days? Do you feel like you've ever been in a rut? Or maybe you feel like you're in a rut right now. Maybe you're just like, Jeff, I just feel so stuck. I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm in a rut. I'm in a rut emotionally. I'm in a rut spiritually. I'm in a, I'm in a rut with my, the pursuit of my education. I'm in a rut with my career. I'm in a rut. And, and emotionally, you just feel like right now, You're at Kerith. Can I just give you some insight into this word Kerith? This word Kerith in Hebrew actually means to be cut off. Kerith means cut off. And that's exactly where Elijah finds himself. He's in a ravine. He's in a rut. He's in the Kerith ravine. He's been cut off from his friends. He's been cut off from the world for that matter. And Elijah is all alone. And God's going to keep him there for a year he's going to be in this ravine he's going to be in this rut for an entire year but while he's there god is going to supernaturally provide for elijah so what does god do god actually sends some birds to help him and you saw a moment ago he sends ravens and i was just thinking wow that's unique ravens in the ravine and ravine and ravens and so he's gonna send ravens to actually feed remember what it said that Elijah is going to drink from the brook, but God's going to send ravens, and they're going to provide him with food. Do you remember the language? It said that they're going to come twice a day, no lunch, breakfast, and dinner, we might would say. There's going to be bread and meat in the morning, and then there's going to be bread and meat in the evening. I like to think of it as this way, chicken minis in the morning and a Chick-fil-A sandwich at night. And somebody say, thank you, Jesus. But how many of you know that's not what he had? In fact, the ravens, it was nothing like that. Nowhere any, uh, not even close to being that good. It would actually be that the ravens would find particles of food. Maybe it was somebody's leftovers. Maybe it was crumbs. So it's not like a really fun time in Elijah's life. But he's in this raven. He's in this uh, ravine, rather, being fed by the ravens for an entire year. His only support, listen to this now. This is really important. His only support is God, but God is enough. Now, do you remember what we just read? It was in verse 7. You'll remember it once I stated. It said this, sometime later, the brook dried up. So Elijah, follow the sequence, what's playing out. Uh, King Ahab, Jezebel, the worst of all the kings before them in the northern kingdom, God sends Elijah, this prophet, to confront them. Hey, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to rain for a very long time, three and a half years. And God says, hey, Elijah, by the way, I'm going to hide you in the ravine. I'm going to lead you to Kirith Ravine. And you're going to be there for a year. And while you're there, the the ravens are going to feed you with food. I'm going to send them supply for you every day in the morning and evening. And you're going to drink from the brook. But then we get to verse 7, and it says, the brook dried up. Now, I want to hit pause here for just a moment, and I want to ask you, what do you do when the brook dries up? Be sure you catch this now. This is so important. I hope you got something. You can make some notes. I want to give you some very practical things for you to write down. Write them down in your notebook or in your tablet or phone or whatever you're going to use, but I want to give you basically the three reasons why brooks dry up. Three reasons why brooks dry up, and I'm going to hit them real quickly, and then we'll move on. Number one, to keep us, number one, to keep us from depending on the brook. Let me say that again. Brooks will often dry up in our lives to keep us from depending on the brook. See, when things become constant... And when things become routine, and a lot of us like routines, eventually we may look to something or someone to meet our needs rather than God. And God never wants you and I to depend on anybody or anything but him completely. And so sometimes the brooks in our life, God will allow them to dry up. Why? To keep us from depending on the brook. Secondly, you've got to get this down. This is so good to move us to a better place. See, sometimes God knows us well enough. Now, this is not a great place for Elijah to be. He's in a rut. He's been there for a long time. He's going to spend a year there. It's not a great place to be. But let me just say this to you. After time evolves, Elijah eventually becomes comfortable and complacent. It's not a great place to be. He's drinking water from the brook and being fed in the morning and evening from the ravens. It's not a great place to be, but he's comfortable. He's complacent, but God never intended to leave Elijah in the Kirith ravine. He's going to move him to a better place. So maybe you're at a season in your life, and you're like, Jeff, the brook is dried up. What's going on in my life? I don't understand. Things that have been routine and normal, natural for me. Listen, God does not want you to depend on the brook. He wants you to depend on him. And actually what he's probably doing, he's preparing to move you to a better place. Let me give you a third reason why brooks dry up. And that is to prove to us that God has not forgotten us. Can I just say that to you? God has not forgotten you. Now you may feel like you've been in a rut you may feel like for a year, that's nothing. That you know that Elijah went through. I've been in a rut for a long, long time. or you may feel that things have dried up in your life, and the net result of that is you may feel that God has forgotten you. But I want to tell you the exact opposite of that is actually true. God has not only forgotten you, he's never taken his eyes off of you. Just the opposite would be true. Can I just tell you right now that God knows your name and God knows your need? And God knows your nervousness. He knows what has filled your life with fear. He knows why you're worried. He knows why you're feeling anxious. Maybe you're just like on the verge. You just feel like at any moment of, of going into panic, a panic attack. And, and, and I want to just tell you, God knows every detail. See, God knows what is going on in your life. Well, let's keep moving with the story. So Elijah as we know now, has been in a ravine. He's been in a rut for a year now. The next place that we find Elijah, he's not in the rut. He's on the road. He's on the road again. You heard that song? Some of you are like humming it right now, on the road again. And if you weren't thinking about it, you are now and you'll probably start humming it and I apologize. But he's on the road. He's on the road. If the rut was lonely, if it was symbolic of loneliness for Elijah, and I think it it really was, then this journey for him represents, I want you to hear this now, a time of great insecurity. In the ravine, in Kirith Ravine, being cut off in a rut, he feels lonely But now on this journey, you're going to see why in just a moment he feels incredibly insecure. I want you to look with me at a couple of verses. This is verses 8 and 9, and we're still in the same chapter. Look at these two verses with me, verses 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. He's been in the rut. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed, look at this now, a widow there to supply you with food. Think about that for just a moment. In the brook, God used ravens. Now, in Zarephath, he actually says, God says to Elijah, I'm going to use a widow to provide for you. Now, there's some things that you've got to understand about the journey. Where has he been? I know you've been listening. He's been in Kerith. He's been in the Kerith ravine. But now God says, the brook is dried up. I'm going to move you. And I'm going to move you from Kerith. I'm going to move, move you to Zarephath. Now, there's some things about that that you need to know. Primarily, what you need to know is that in order to get from Kerith to Zarephath, it's going to be an extraordinarily dangerous journey. It's a journey that's going to be a distance of over 100 miles. And, and you're like, you know what? That's not all that far. If I were to hop in my car right now, I could be there in no time. Some of you would say, I could be there really, really fast. But have you forgotten? Elijah doesn't have a car. He has no means of transportation except his, except his feet. And the distance is over 100 miles. And that's a, that's a big deal. It's got to be quite the journey, but it doesn't end there. Zarephath was not in Israel. And that's, that's important. That really matters. This is not a Jewish city that Elijah is going to be moving into. He's actually going to be moving into a pagan city. In modern day, he would be moving from Kirith to Lebanon. Now, remember also, As I mentioned to you a few moments ago, Elijah is a marked man. When he goes to this wicked king and queen... Ahab and Jezebel announces to them that because they've been so terrible that God's going to withhold rain, they are mad. He's a marked man, and he's still a marked man a year later. But now he's got a journey through dangerous territory. He's a marked man, and this journey is going to take him through the epicenter of Baal worship, which, as you can recall from a few moments ago, that's where Ahab and Jezebel had led the people of Israel, from the worship of the one true God, from Jehovah, to the worship of Baal. Furthermore, and I want to tell you, this really complicates matters. And some of you that have studied the Old Testament, you may have not realized this yet. Zarephath is actually the hometown of Jezebel. And Elijah's got to be thinking, all right, God, what are you up to? I've been in a rut for a year, and now you're moving me from Kirith to Zarephath, and I've got to go through all of this dangerous territory to get there. And God, if I'm understanding you clearly, you said once I get there, you're going to provide for me uh, through the means of a poor widow. And that's how. And, and Elijah must be thinking, friends. He's an ordinary human being. He's a prophet, but he's a person, and he must be thinking, great, this is getting better all the time. I've got to go from here to. The over hundred miles through bell worship to the hometown of, of Jezebel. And oh, waiting for me there is not somebody with a lot of means to provide. Waiting for me there is a poor widow that has very little. Now I want to uh, again, do a timeout because I want to intercept the story with what, uh, how this applies to your life and mine. What does this have to do with your life or my life? You may be on a journey right now in your life where it just simply seems, you're like, Jeff, path I'm on right now, it just seems that it's going from bad to worse. I'd love to be able to tell my friends, you may be thinking that, wow, things are getting a lot better in my life. And wow, I I see the the light at the end of the tunnel. But some of you are thinking, hey, the light at the end of the uh, tunnel may actually be a train. It's going from bad to worse. You may be terribly anxious right now. Because you're like Elijah was in that. Like, God, it seems like I'm going from bad to worse. At least least while I was in Kareth, I wasn't having to deal with a lot of the things I'm about to have to deal with. And his faith is being tested. And many of you, you know what it's like to have your faith tested. Maybe you know what it's like to have your faith tested because that's where you're at right now. Your faith is being tested to the max. So what do you do? And I want to get real practical. And again, pick up your pen or your tablet. I want to give you some things to write down. This is really important. What do you do when life has you on a journey and it has you scared to death? Is that you right now? Are you, on a, are you on a journey and you don't know where this is taking you and your are like so riddled with worry and anxiety, you're just scared to death. I, I want to just share a couple of things with you right here. Number one, the path to a miracle is always through difficult territory. Can I say that again? I want you to be encouraged in that. Hear me when I say that. The path through, to a miracle is always through dangerous territory uncomfortable territory it's what we're talking about in this series more than a story these are real people And they receive real miracles from God. And you're about to see this play out, not only for Elijah, but also for the widow. But I just want you to understand that if you're in a difficult time right now, that does not mean you're headed in the direction that God does not want you to be going in. It may be that you're just a few steps of faith away from a great miracle that God is about to provide for you. I want you to think about it pragmatically. Miracles do not need to occur when everything is going great in your life. You see, if everything's going great in your job, you don't need a miracle at your job. If everything is perfect in your marriage, you don't need a miracle in your marriage. If everything is going great in your physical body, you don't need a miracle in your body, or you don't need a miracle in your relationship with your kids. You don't need a miracle financially. It's only when we're in difficult circumstances that we stand in need of a miracle. But I want you to know this, that when you and I are in a desperate and difficult place, then we're on the road to a miracle miracle let me say that again if you're in a desperate place or you're at a place where you just feel like this is really really difficult for me it may be that for you a miracle is right around the corner if everything was great in your life you wouldn't need a miracle but the fact of the matter is miracles always always have to go through dangerous dangerous territory to get there here's the second thought The source of a miracle often occurs through unlikely circumstances. The source of a miracle often occurs through unlikely circumstances. You and I know this to be true, what I'm about to say. It is so tempting when we need a miracle to take matters into our our own hands. And we do something like this. All right, here's what I'm going to do. Maybe you've got an analytical mind and you say, all right, here's where I'm at. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I need some a breakthrough, I need a miracle here. I'm going to think my way out of this. Or right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work myself out of this. Or here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to control all the circumstances around me to make it happen. How's that working for you? Probably not too good. Or I'm going to press or I'm going to manipulate. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this happen. And all I'm saying to you is oftentimes when God provides a miracle, he provides it through the most unlikely of sources. And you, if you're like, I've got this all figured out. Let me just say this. You probably don't have it figured out. See, because God's ways are so higher than our ways. The way that God works things out, you may never even see it coming. It may be not only a miracle, but it may be an utter surprise because you're thinking, if I had done it, I would have done it this way. But here's the good news. You're not God and neither am I. In fact, can I just say it this way? If you could understand God, you would be God. But you're not God. And so you can't understand God's ways. I want you to see this verse. I want you to mark it down somewhere and come back to it later. This is Isaiah. Isaiah, still in the Old Testament, but another Old Testament book. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, This is God speaking. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And God is saying, you know what? Uh, You can't figure out my ways. You don't know how I'm going to provide. Don't even try to figure it out. Don't think that you can think your way or work your way or force your way or just sort of grind it out and make it happen and control and manipulate it. See, in order to get the miracle, God is probably going to lead you through a territory that is initially uncomfortable to you. But then God's going to also provide a miracle that you may be, I never saw it coming that way. Well, these verses that I'm about to read next are not on the screen, but I want you to listen very closely as to what happens next. And and I want to just give you a preview before I read them. They're not on the screens, uh, so I want you to listen carefully. Um, There's a part, when I first became a Christian, and I read this book for the first time, I don't mind telling you, I, I became somewhat agitated. I really did, and I'll explain as we get into it. This is still 1 Kings 17. I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Mark that down. You can come back to it later. So Elijah went to Zarephath. He made the trip. When he reached the town gate, he saw a widow gathering wood for a fire. Elijah asked her, would you bring me a little water in a cup so I may have a drink? As she was going to get his water, Elijah said, please bring me a piece of bread too the woman answered listen to this now as surely as the lord your god lives i have no bread i have only a small handful of flour in a jar and only a little olive oil in a jug i came here to gather some wood so i could go home and cook our last meal my son and i will eat it and then die from hunger you see this is the person this is so ironic you're like and that's why Elijah's like, God, you're leading me from Kerith to Zarephath. And now my provision is going to be a poor widow. And he gets there and she says, hey, you know what? I'm gathering up. This is the last meal. Me and my son, we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. That's how bad it is. Don't worry. This is verse 13. Don't worry, Elijah said to her. Go home and cook your food as you have said. But this is the part that agitated me when I first read it as a brand new Christian. But first, make a small loaf of bread from the flour you have and bring it to me. Then, cook something for yourself and your son. And I read that and I'm like, I just got a little, I'm, I'm being vulnerable here, but I got a little internally agitated with that. I'm like, Elijah, the gall that you have, this poor widow, she's about to gather up a few sticks, cook the last meal. This is it for her and her son. And you're saying, yeah, yeah, go do that. But uh, before you do, hey, bring me back first something to eat you know what it is a modern day example of this would be like saying you know to a homeless person hey you know they're, they're needing some help maybe they're standing at the road and they you know they're hungry and maybe the sign says they're hungry and they're needing some help but you pull up and you roll the window down or I do that and we say hey listen uh before before I help you I want you to go make me a sandwich will you do that I want you to use a high-quality bread, and listen, none of that lame uh, lunch meat bores head for me. How about a little provolone cheese? Not the cheap mustard, let's use gray poupon. It would be almost, and it's like, and you're like, I was maybe like, why is he even saying that? Verse 14, the Lord the God of Israel says, That jar, and here's where it gets better, that jar of flour will never be empty, and the jug will always have oil in it until the day the Lord sends rain. So Elijah's like saying, God sent me to you, and God's going to use you to provide for me, but God's going to work through me to provide for you. And so here's what's going to happen. If you'll just do that, even though you may not understand it, this may fundamentally be unexplainable to you, but if you'll do it, God's going to continue to provide for you long after what you thought was going to be your last meal. Verse 15, so the woman went home and did what Elijah told her to do. And the woman and her son and Elijah had enough food, listen to this, not just for that day, but for every day, the jar of flour and the jug of oil were never empty, just as the Lord through Elijah had promised. So it's like she said, what, you know, bring you something? He says, that's right. Because if you will obey the Lord, here's what God's going to do. God's going to bless you. Next time you go back to that jar for flour, you're going to think it's going to be empty. But it's not going to be empty. There's going to be enough for your next meal. When you go back to that, to that jug for some more oil, you would expect that it's going to be empty. But there's going to be enough. And you know what? I came to the realization, and this helped me really with my inward agitation, because I came to the realization that God was not only wanting to bless Elijah, God was wanting to bless this widow too. And can I just tell you before we're done, God wants to bless you. God wants to meet your needs. And you're like, Jeff, but I'm in a difficult time. I'm in a rut and I feel so lonely. Or I'm on my way, I'm on my way to Zarephath and it's an uncomfortable journey. And I want you to know God is with you every step of the way. I want to leave you with one more verse, and then I'm going to pray. Take a look at it over here at the screen. Philippians 4, 19, our only verse out of the New Testament today. If you're at a place where you can read it out loud with me, I want you to do that. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And Elijah, as he was making his way to Zarephath, must have thought, God, you're sending me to a poor widow? Really? Is that how you're gonna provide a miracle in my life? And God knew the whole time, yes. And the widow's hearing this guy who she's never met before say, hey, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. You're gathering this up, last meal for you and your son. Bring me something first. But God had a plan for this widow. And God has a plan for you. He's not forgot your name. And he's not forgot your need. And he knows everything that's going on in your life right now. And if God could provide a miracle for Elijah, which he did, and if God could provide a miracle for this poor widow in Zarephath, which he did, then our God is able to provide a miracle for you. Let's pray. God, would you do that right now? Lord, you know where a person feels challenged. You know the rut that they feel that they're in, that things have just dried up in their life. Lord, I thank you that you have a good plan uh, in store for them. I believe that for their life you're going to provide a miracle. God, whatever area in their life they need a miracle, maybe it's in their health, would you send them a miracle? Maybe it's in their job or their career or their finances, maybe. God, it's in their relationships, their relationship with their parents or their kids or their marriage. God, I just pray that you would provide for them the miracle that they need. You are able and you are willing. And these are more than just stories. These are real people that you provide a real miracle for. And I believe that you're going to do that for every person listening now. And we thank you in advance for that in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, if we could serve you or help you in any way, let us know. Now, I mentioned to you at the outset of this talk that this is going to be a four-week series. Whatever you do, join me right back here next week for part two. I promise you don't want to miss it. I love you. Have a great week.